So as many of you know, we, uh, we base our Connect Communities and Groups uh, sort of geographically uh, as much as possible. And so if you live in the area of Deptford and you'd love to get involved, that would be fantastic. Uh, so welcome to City Hope. My name is uh, Vic Wilson. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here. I lead the team uh, that leads the church here. Um, I'm, it's great to have you with us. We've had an excellent time so far. Um, I'm very encouraged with some of the contributions being brought because if I remember them in my head uh, as I'm speaking this morning, I think some of them are very pertinent to the things I wanted to share as well. So we've been doing for the past two weeks uh, a little series on prayer, looking at uh, a prayer that Paul the Apostle kind of wrote down, as it were, wrote his prayer down uh, in the book of Thessalonians. So uh, a group of Christians living in a place called uh, Thessalonica or Thessalonica, who knows how it was said. And uh, Paul was there for a bit, as we're going to see that story. And he wrote them a letter, and in the letter was this prayer. And Chris, in the first week, and Paul, uh, in the second week, we've been looking at it and encouraging ourselves about how that should be shaping our own prayer life, particularly for each other, because Paul is praying for the church at the time. So here's uh, here's the verse, and this is the third of three talks I'm doing. So we'll look at this, and particularly the verse that I'm speaking on today. So Paul is saying, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And the last verse we're looking at particularly today. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So before we get to look at that passage a bit, that particular prayer may strengthen our hearts, etc. Uh, I wanted again just to go over a quick bit of the context, the background, uh, which you actually can read about in the book of Acts in the first part of chapter 17, which is when Paul was in Thessalonica, uh, went to um, preach the gospel there, a church got going, and then there's the passage we're going to look at, he has to leave quite suddenly, uh, and that precipitated this letter coming fairly soon afterwards. This is actually the first chronologically of all Paul's letters in the New Testament. So, oh, sorry, and I was going to say, if there's one thing that this, hopefully this whole series teaches us, is that um, we want to pray for each other, don't we? And I don't know how much you can remember uh, Chris's sermon or Paul's sermon in detail. You know, they're both excellent sermons. I encourage you to listen to them online if you never heard them. Uh, but they just stir us to pray for each other. Chris, in particular, was sharing about um, even if you're in a difficult situation and someone's been blessed, that we give thanks for people because Paul was in a tough situation. And uh, Paul, one of his points was let's love and pray. That, you know, if we're going to love one another as a church, then prayer should be a core part of that. And here today, uh, the prayer is strengthening our hearts that we're praying for each other, for our hearts to be strong. And can I say, even if you can't remember all the details, if there's one thing I'd love you to go home with today, as preachers often say, it's that we are just stirred to pray for each other and that we just do so more and more. It's really quite simple. In some ways, this whole series actually has come out of a, a book I read many, many years ago in some ways, uh, A Call to Spiritual Reformation by D.A. Carson. Now, I'm not even sure this was the most profound and brilliant book I've ever read on prayer. Um, or the one that I found most inspiring at the time. But I just know that actually because of some of the things he said in it, it very much changed the way I started praying. 
And I know that in some ways, this book in particular grew my prayer life because I essentially did some of the things it said, which is helpful. And, just, and it's led me to pray a bit more. Of course, you've got a long way to go, as we all have. And I really uh, would encourage us that in this series, one of the things that just sticks with you really simply is that you just pray for each other a bit more. That people in the church, we just are loving one another by praying for each other, for God's blessing our life. And hence this um, little quote here, serious prayer for others forces us to get serious with ourselves. It won't just happen, will it? It won't, it won't just meander into something we're praying a bit more intently for one another. It's something we'll have to grapple with and think through what is that going to look like. Paul in that passage said, I pray for you night and day. With meaning really just that obviously he's really passionate, really going for it all the time, praying for other, and we want to be the same. So sorry, so back to Acts 17, where the, um, the, uh, the, the, the whole story gets going. So in the first few verses of Acts 17, Paul goes in with a guy called Silas, and Timothy was with them, but he's not mentioned in Acts, and he preaches the gospel to people, and a church grows, they see some success, or we might say really quite a lot of success as a church gets going in a matter of weeks. And then it gets to verse 5 and it says, but other Jews, because some Jews had responded to the gospel and joined the church, were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, the two main preachers, in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason, who's one of the local guys that obviously become a Christian, and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They all defined Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and others on bail and let them go. And as I was sort of preparing for this, one, a few things uh, just really sort of encouraged me, provoked me in this setting as we then start to look at the prayer. So first of all, really simply, just the bravery of some of the early Christians in telling people about Jesus. I mean, it's quite obvious really, isn't it? But just remember that in many ways we are here today because of the early Christians and obviously many, many generations in between because they're braver. We're partly here today because saying the Moravians and the bravery they showed, Paul alludes to earlier, selling themselves into slavery to take the gospel uh, to places and things like that. We are here today because of the bravery of our brothers and sisters in the past, sometimes in very difficult circumstances, still telling people about Jesus. And we need to be brave, don't we, to tell people about Jesus. Jesus told his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to receive boldness from on high so that we can tell someone. And it's just what we need to do. It's part of our calling to follow in their footsteps. And then a bit more specifically in this situation, I felt like it's quite similar to, to the, if you like, the world we live in today, our environment, although not to the same extreme. So the, uh, the Jews that have uh, got grumpy with Paul and have caused trouble, they go to the civil authorities in Thessalonica and they complain that, um, and they make a specific charge, actually. They complain that Paul and Silas are saying there's another king, one called Jesus. Now, this is almost like a, within the local civil authorities, there's like a, this is almost a treasonous um, claim. It's sort of in the courts. It's not just having a go and fussing. It's a legal matter. Because, um, as this quote shows, 
uh, it was kind of against the kind of almost the laws of the city. So in Thessalonica, city leaders fostered devotion to the imperial cult, cult sorry, in order to solidify good relations with Rome. Obviously, the Roman Empire was in power all over the place in the days of Jesus and Paul. As a consequence, any perceived attack on the cult of the emperor was viewed as a serious threat to the city's economic and political well-being. Thus, to attack the cult by proclaiming the exclusive claims of another deity, for example, I, Jesus, was virtually to attack the city itself. In such an environment, to preach Christianity was tantamount to treason. Now, our situation is nowhere near this extreme. But it just got me thinking, it wasn't, if you like, just the general sense of bravery, but Paul and Silas and indeed the Christians in Thessalonica had almost like a, a legal, systematic framework against them saying, don't tell us about Jesus. Don't tell us about, you know, that's like a sideline issue for us. And I felt there's real similarities for us today that in so many ways, uh, our sort of governments at workplace situations, we're not really supposed to tell people about Jesus. Not that anyone's expressing it in that way at the moment, but the values of Christianity and proclaim the gospel meet with opposition. And yet this church here in Thessalonica clearly was proclaiming Jesus over and above, even though the rules were saying, don't do it, we're supposed to follow Caesar, don't proclaim another king, don't upset the apple cart, don't look, it's a diverse city, don't sort of be interfering, some believe that, some believe this, very similar to us today, don't upset it, yet that's clearly what they did. And they clearly knew that the authority they had from God to preach the gospel was greater and more important than the authorities in Thessalonica, the civil authorities. And, uh, and hopefully we do too. Actually, we know we've got a call from God to take the gospel, to, in, even into places where it feels difficult. If you work in, public, um, in the public sector in almost any area, it's probably quite hard to be proclaiming Christianity and Jesus as the only way to God as we've been worshipping today and the troubles that could cause you in our uh, sort of diverse world that we live in and treading on toes. And I'm not saying we don't need a lot of wisdom and grace but we must know that actually that's the authority we've got from God. And Pete's word earlier, which is trying to express about not being uh, restricted in a way, not almost, uh, you know, that sort of the contraception analogy of restricting us in terms of the new birth we want to see. I felt really tied in with that, that um, although it's not in the prayer bit of the passage, felt that we want to be challenged saying, don't restrict the gospel in your situation, even though there could be almost like the system you're in is against it in some way. Not that you're going to be overtly persecuted, we hope. But that this was the case for Paul. And this is where, and all the Christians in Thessalonica, and they proclaimed the gospel in it. The early part of Thessalonians said the gospel message was ringing out from them, which is what we want to aspire to as well. And then finally, on this in the background, and leading into the prayer passage, so they then put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. So it seems like there was almost this legal restriction um, on the sort of gospel preaching, on the church growing, which is probably what next passage then forced Paul and Silas out, although we can't be totally sure. that Paul and Silas had kept going in Thessalonica, okay, that would have resulted in Jason and these others being brought back in to ask what was going on. So possibly out of trying to make, you know, not getting them into so much trouble, but let them more subversely tell people about Jesus. That's why Paul and Silas left. That is why Paul was struggling to get back in to Thessalonica to... Um, to keep encouraging this new church, and possibly that's why he sent Timothy in instead, which leads us back to the prayer. So that could all be uh, kind of part of the background 
Because earlier on in this prayer, Paul has been um, saying, I'm praying that I could come and meet with you guys again. And elsewhere in the book he said, but Satan is stopping us getting back in. And uh, he's been praying that he wants to get in, and then he leads on to this prayer for the church. And obviously these are the things that are on his heart for the church. Uh, And finally, back to our prayer here. May he strengthen your heart so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy holy ones. This is the finale to the prayer. This is where Paul is heading. And for the rest of the book, he then starts giving them practical instructions. The first half of the book, he's been remembering his time with them and thanking God for them leading up to this prayer. And very dear to Paul's heart is that this church make it in their new Christian life. He was with them a very short period. He wanted to be with them longer before he got kicked out, uh, as the Acts passage just looked at tells us. And he wants to know that they're still walking with Jesus, if you like, that they're still staying strong in their faith, even in very difficult circumstances where they're being persecuted. And he's been saying, I'm praying that I can come to you. He says, I'm praying that I may make up in areas, I can bring something to you to make up in areas where you lack. Uh, But he's not been able to get there. He sent Timothy. Timothy's come back with a good report, so Paul's rejoicing. But he prays them that their love may increase and overflow and that that God may strengthen their hearts. He doesn't want them to fall away. He fears that they might have started well, and then without the leader, when the leaders get kicked out, the initial church leaders, that they'll fall away into what is quite intense persecution for them. He worries in one point in place. He says that my work would not have been in vain, or my efforts might not have been useless. And he's praying that God would strengthen them so that indeed they would continue, that they wouldn't fall away. You know, falling away from the faith is a real thing. And it crops up time and time in the Bible where Paul and other pastors don't want Christians to fall away. It's not a foregone conclusion that if you're walking with Jesus today, that in that sense you'll keep going with him uh, all the time. We see it, unfortunately and very sadly, in the life of the church all the time, that people who were once among us are no longer among us, are no longer among us, for whatever different reasons. Paul is not just assuming uh, and taking it easy, like I got the church going, it's fine, he's praying for them that they would not fall away. Jesus told a parable about different responses to the word of God, for like being the analogy being seed on different types of soil. And some responded and yet later on fell away. And some responded on good soil and bore fruit. And Paul wants these guys to keep going and to bear fruit. And he prays that their hearts would be strengthened for this. That's a sort of a key part of it. Lord, will you strengthen their hearts? May the Lord strengthen your hearts. The kind of the uh, seat of all our desires uh, and emotions, what we truly long after and want after, that this church would not be distracted uh, and start to yearn after other things, maybe the easier life, or for us it might be different things that hearts start going different ways to having Jesus number one in our heart. It's quite a similar prayer to one of David's in the Psalms. In 86, he says, Lord, give me an undivided heart, a heart that's just set on you. Jesus, strengthen my heart that I'm not distracted. I'm firmly committed to walking with you every day of the rest of my life. In Dan's word earlier, just um, about the heart, it's sort of a picture of the heart encased in concrete. And uh, that we can have hearts that are not strengthened by God, but ones that are kind of, we're just protecting, we're encasing, we're not soft before Jesus. 
And I was thinking that, of course, in, on the cross, Jesus had his heart pierced for us and the blood and water flowed as a, really a symbol that his heart was broken on our behalf so that we can trust him, if you like, with our hearts, not encase them in concrete and try to protect ourselves, but be soft before him, but pray that he would strengthen our hearts, that we would walk well with him and not give up and not be distracted in difficult times. That's what Paul's praying for the church. And that's what we want to pray for each other. We're going to know, in that sense, that we don't have it all. That there's uh, Not that we're fearing it, not that we're not confident of being in God's hands, but it's just not this foregone conclusion that I'm enjoying Jesus today, that it'll be dead easy tomorrow or the day after that. We don't know that. We're going to know that we're, we're not. Maybe, maybe today you feel strong, be worshipping the God, and, and, and it's great. But in humility, know that we lack we still lack. Now, when Paul said that to the Thessalonians before this prayer, he wasn't saying there was any fault with them. He was just saying, we're not the finished article yet. There are things that we all need. We're not complete yet. And once it never will be to the day we meet Jesus before. Don't be thinking it's sorted in that sense. Be persevering and walking with Jesus. Sort of as a committed thing. And we've got to know that in our hearts, that in that sense, we need prayer, and that the people around us in the church, they need prayer. Maybe think, look, they're doing fine, they're great, they love Jesus. But actually, we'll be praying for one another, that God will strengthen our hearts. Um, not that, yeah, just, again, no, it's not a fearful thing. It's not saying, I think you might trip up tomorrow, as it were, but it's just that that's the way life is. Who knows what it's going to throw at us? Paul didn't know exactly what was going on with the pressures of, these, of the Thessalonians. He's praying, God strengthen their hearts so that they may be blameless and holy. Now, these two words, one's, uh, you know, maybe a word that we use more often ourselves, being blameless. Obviously, nothing sticks to you. There's no condemnation. Uh, you know, the things we, we've done, we're not getting in trouble for anymore, uh, that we're wrong. It's like we're blameless. There's no blame attached to us. Holy is a bit more of a religious-sounding word, and it really does uh, draw in and reflect us being like God, us having God's moral characters kind of in us and then working that out. Christians are those that by the blood of Jesus have been made blameless and holy. That's what Jesus has done for us. It's the only way you can become blameless and holy. It's something God gives to us, the righteousness of Jesus. And Paul's praying that these Thessalonians that accepted that would stay strong in it, would keep working it out. They wouldn't deviate from the life that Jesus has called them to. And again, for us, of course, that's what we want, isn't it? All the way to keep going all the way to until uh, God and Father, when our Lord, so in the presence of God and Father, to when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. It's basically making it to the end. It's not stopping halfway. It's not sort of keeping going and, can't make it anymore. But actually, every one of us would keep going all the way to the end, and we're praying for each other uh, that we would all uh, do that. There's a verse from Hebrews just drawing in the sense of us making it to the end and, uh, and the return of Jesus. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Paul wants the Thessalonians to be a church that is waiting for the Lord, strong hearts desiring that more than anything else. Whether they've died before he returns, this was an issue for the Thessalonians, by the way. How does that work? Whether they've died before he returns or whether he actually comes back for him, which clearly he hasn't, and so he hadn't done for them, and we're still waiting. But there's something of our hearts being strong, waiting for Jesus to return. Because we're destined to die once, 
and then face judgment? Are we blameless and holy in the presence of God? Is that how we've been walking with him when we stand before him? It's a real thing. Or when Jesus comes back, will he find us waiting for him, living out, being blameless and holy? And that's Paul's prayer for us. Uh, sorry, Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. And what I want to stir us to pray for each other today, that we would be um, praying for each other to have strong hearts and be blameless and holy. Now, I think it's good to think about this not being just uh, like a generic prayer, but um, in the context of knowing where we're weak, knowing what we lack, knowing the areas of our lives that maybe aren't as strong as they should be, I'd like to ask the question, who do you share that with? Who knows what's going on in your life that somebody's praying for you in to help you stay holy and blameless in that area of life? You know, we want to love each other and pray for each other, but that can't just be sort of a wishy-washy kind of thing as if, you know, Lord, just bless them, help people uh, walk God's way. But what's the sense of accountability and openness and trust that we have with different people in the church so that we can pray with meaning uh, and trust and power for each other? Do you know that you need that? Who do you know well enough that you're praying that for? This is, of course, one of the reasons why we have our connect communities and groups that, to some level, we do know each other uh, more clearly than you can know just in our, our Sunday context. That You can pray for each other. You know what's, if they're having difficulty at work, if the kids are having problems at school, we can be praying, Lord, help them through this. God, strengthen them that can walk well with you through it. We're going to say it's obviously... To go, if you like, deeper still, it's not necessarily appropriate even in connect group situations to really open up to people about some of the areas of your life you're thinking, I lack in these areas, things I need to grow into, to walk well as a blameless and holy person the way God's called me to be. And we need to be finding people that we can trust and share life with uh, and that can be ongoing so that we can really speak into each other's lives and pray for each other. And, you know, that's a difficult thing, uh, and it can be, you know, it can be kind of scary in different ways. As a few people uh, in, in my life who, you know, sort of know me a bit better, one of them obviously being Caroline, my, my wife, and, um, you know, to, and that I know them, we pray for each other. And, uh, you know, it's always a challenge. Even, even this, I'm thinking, oh, you know, how do I need to grow in that for the people that, uh, you know, I'm sort of sharing life with at a, more, at a deeper level? to pray for one another, to ask that God would help them stay strong and walk with him and, and how to help them pray for me in terms of sharing my life with them. But can I encourage you to think about that? If there's no one in your life, if you like, where you feel it gets really real, where you can genuinely say in a place where you know, um, you know it's, uh, it's a safe environment, you might say, say, this is where I lack. Pray for me that God may strengthen me. Then please be thinking about that thinking who you can speak to, who you can trust, who you can work that out with in life. Can I say, uh, it's not just about some of the people that, if you like, uh, I'm praying for in the sort of more that way. It's not because I'm one of the leaders, one of the pastors here. It's because they're my friends and they're my, you know, my, my brother. And we've been walking together, if you like, with Jesus for many years. And we share stuff uh, that's a bit deeper. And if I wasn't one of the church leaders anymore, that would continue. It's not just like an official pastor thing. In case you're wondering, you always confess uh, to the pastor or something. Now, as leaders, we are here for you in that regard. If you want to do that, we want to make that available. But it doesn't have to be that. The Bible talks about confessing your sins to each other and praying for each other. Now, that's not exactly maybe what Paul was praying 
uh, in terms of Thessalonians is he just wants them to stay strong as a church in the face of uh, difficulties. But I think it's very appropriate. It leads on to that for us saying, what is it we need in our lives where we lack? That we get people to pray for us, that God would strengthen our hearts uh, so that it would be blameless and holy. I'd like us to, if the band can come up, we're going to worship God and just reflect on the way he's changed our lives. I'd love to just be thinking and praying about that. Can I ask you, in your connect groups this week or next week, whenever you next meet, think about how you can just pray for each other. And maybe share a bit about what would be good at the appropriate level in your connect groups, about how you can pray for each other to walk well with God. We want our connect groups to be strengthening each other in that way. So, um, thank you, So, the band are going to come up. If you'd like to stand, like to pray for us all. It's just Paul, but that's fine. (laughs) Jesus, I thank you again that you have uh, opened up our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. Again, just think about that word from Dan. Lord, none of us want to have hearts that are in concrete, protected from you in a way that's actually damaging to ourselves, Lord. We want to have hearts that are open to you, following you wholeheartedly, Lord Jesus. And we say, God, will you strengthen our hearts, Lord, to help us walk with you, to help us walk in the manner that you walked, Lord Jesus, to be like you every day, step by step, Lord Jesus, uh, growing more like you from one degree of glory to another, Lord. We pray, God, strengthen, Lord, our hearts that we would be blameless and holy as you want us to be, Lord. We don't want to be those that sort of go halfway with you, then fall away, Lord Jesus. And we say, God, come. We recognize that we need your help. We need your grace. We need each other in that, Lord Jesus. And we say, come on us as a church, Lord. Build us up together. Help us care for one another, love one another, and pray for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.